See, Valve has a new VR headset. Yeah. Yeah. Yawn. VR is dead. It was never living. Ouch. All right. Well, okay. you know, I can, I can well, envisage yeah. a day when we have a VR headset and my wife is sat there like in some stupid jewel popping game or something in 3D on the sofa and we never speak to each other anymore because she's got this fucking stupid... Or maybe it's the other way around <laughs> and it's me. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. One or the other. I don't know, though. So, I, I felt so, that way, too, and then I got an Oculus and I changed my mind. Yeah, the thing about VR is that I can remember going down to Piccadilly Circus in like 1992, 1993 when I was a student and putting this, you know, £15 headset on my head and paying five quid to romp around in some line art 3D world. And it was kind of interesting and kind of impressive for the day, but ultimately, yeah, just something yeah but now yeah but now you could have one in your house right so that's one big difference is yeah, the, okay. the opportunity cost of you playing with it is you picking it up and putting it on your head right <laughs> yeah. the 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 um hardware will be lighter and will fit your head better despite you having a massive all head. true all it true gonna torpedo torpedo you in however minute, keep going go on keep, keep however, making a big target for yourself <laughs> there there is also the fact that you can now get immersed in games like well, let's pick an easy target, Minecraft, where you can spend mm-hmm. six hours yeah, building go on, a house. Yeah, talking about Minecraft. Yeah, big target. Right. It's getting bigger and bigger. It's yeah. easier to shoot. Go on, then. Go on, then. Shoot me down. It What's is, wrong with sitting is, there playing Minecraft? It's the same. Hours? The VR today is sexier hardware and sexier graphics, but it's the same shit we were doing 20 years ago. It hasn't actually moved the needle. Right, but it's it was just the no, same stuff. 20 years ago, better. it was... It was the the Nintendo Virtual Boy. That was no, shit. no, no. That no, was no, no. I'm, ta- I'm, ta- I'm talking about the stuff you could you could stroll into and use. But but think about it. What, right, what, what's different about VR now? The graphics are better. The headsets are lighter. The resolution is higher. But it's the same. It's the same experience that they're trying to sell us. That that we were we were looking at twenty years ago. Just a bit better. They were they were way ahead of their time back then. Well, yeah, but wh- why aren't we now? Why aren't we thinking? Why, why aren't we twenty years ahead of the time now? Why aren't we? Why haven't we got things that are pushing the envelope that are a bit shit and a bit rubbish because we haven't got the hardware and the equipment to to deliver okay, on what I we will, want to do twenty will, years from now? I will just improving on what we were already doing twenty years ago. Rubbish. By the by, the end of next year, by the end of twenty sixteen, so we'll get the first gen ones out. First gen being Oculus, second gen being Valve. We'll get these ones out of the way this year. Next year, you'll go on Alibaba and be able to buy cheap commodity VR headsets, super cheap. I mean, come on, and, and what and already. what are you gonna what are you gonna do with it? Well, by then, there'll be shitloads of games in Steam because Valve are bringing this mm. thing to market. Yeah, a, a shitload of shit games is what I envisage, is what it's going to look like 18 months from now. <laughs> right, but I can sit on my sofa and I can be immersed in a game and a my kids game. can be watching TV. Well, whatever game. It could be Minecraft. You can't say that shit. 20 million nine-year-olds well, can't be wrong. Well, um, I'll tell you what, Popey, when I've played it, I'll let you know whether I think it's shit or not. Oh, you haven't played it yet? No, never. I, right, I I'm going to categorically no, dismiss Appa- your opinion. Apparently, then. it's like Lego, but I actually do Lego in real yeah, life. Yeah, but your fingers hurt. And my I've been playing yeah. Minecraft all day, and my fingers don't hurt. Well, okay, so I've, I've spent the weekend helping to build a 20-foot-tall rocket out of 330,000 pieces of Lego. 
Right. How and who can, can take Minecraft part in that? compete with that? Uh, well, because I'm going to rate that I've, as shit. Well, what I've built, millions of people could come by and and see my server and drop by and help and contribute. Yours <laughs> is a photo on a on a dead social network, Google Plus, that that nobody's ever going to see. Yeah, but then again, the whole of North Hampshire community is invo- engaged in building this absolutely epic rocket out of Lego, which right. is the real world. And it's real 3D and everything. And the definition, you, you, you wouldn't believe the quality of the graphics. It's like, it, it might be analog, but it's really good. <laughs> can, you cha- can you change the theme? Can you change the skin back yeah, on it? Yeah, we're, we're, we're doing it at the moment in red, white and blue. But, you know, you could do it in just black and white or you could do it in puce, uh, cyan and yellow if you really wanted to. But you'd have to rebuild it. You couldn't just press a button and make it look Yeah, different. yeah, but think about th- Have you ever imagined what it would be like to tip over a 20-foot uh, rocket built out of 330,000 bricks of Lego? I mean, just have imagine you, you the destruction. Have you ever wondered what it's like to blow up a house with TNT? I mean, that is uh, just no, as much fun. No, 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 that hasn't crossed my mind as it happens. You're not as deranged <laughs> as I thought you were, Wimpy. You really are. <laughs> I'm disappointed. What about the Microsoft uh, hollow lens where they're going to overlay over your environment? Now, come on, that is kind of useful because you're t- just like take something simple, like you're taking apart a PC. And you open up the case, and maybe all of a sudden you could have outlays of, like, here's all the tickets ever assigned to this PC. Here's your company inventory information about it, this video card, stuff like that. HoloLens, maybe that's real? So so what you're describing there is augmented reality, I believe that's yeah, the buzzword. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. I wow, you sound like an old man, Wimpy. I, hey, well, I am an old man. I've got gray hairs and everything. Um, I think augmented reality has got far more mileage than VR, frankly. Now, you know, see, in Microsoft's world, they also have uh, the ability. So I think in anything that's going to be successful today, you got to have a whole ecosystem. you got to have, like, you got to have app partners like Netflix. You're going to have to have – they have Skype. They have an app store. The universal applications that people write for Windows 10 and the phones also work on HoloLens somehow. I mean, so they even have the ecosystem to back it up. I think when it comes to augmented reality, um, it's easier to do well honestly so not the full integrated thing but actually just the the basic level of you know you have something that identifies the product that you're looking at in a in a in a store yeah speaking of minecraft here's uh here's minecraft in your living room using hololens i don't think this is ever going to happen this is microsoft is microsoft has never been able to pull this kind of thing off and it's just not. This isn't really going to happen. Not right. This lifetime. is the surface table all over again. Yeah. It's. Yes. It's, it's not going to happen. It's the surface exactly. This is the table. This is the table all over again. Or there's going to be the three leading ones, like as I said, Microsoft, Valve, and uh, Facebook, and then there'll be loads of cheap and cheerful knockoff Chinese ones next year. I guarantee it. That'll and be my next open year. source is where in this? Yeah, and what are you actually going to do with these things? That's that's the other thing. I I just don't see what the purpose is. So, so I imagine that I would be able to see a three D render of Chris's studio, and I'm sat here at home with my goggles on while I'm listening to him doing. Popey, 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 you're describing the internet when it was sold to us in 1994. Right now, 
That's true. Right. It, uh, this is a Unix system. I know this. You know, it, it, it is exactly. It's 3D, and I want 3D, and I want to be able to. While we were, while we Chris were all is talking, told I want we to be able to be turn working around. around this right. virtual cyberspace right. yep. back in the mid nineties. Sun the had some great shit, demos, didn't they? Remember the Sun Microsystem demos where you had these. Do virtual- it oh man, yeah, those are great. I, you know what, Chris? I actually worked at Sun Microsystem and helped create some of those <laughs> demos back in the day. <laughs> those are good. I wanted to live in that virtual world. I would never have to leave my house. I go to the mall, and, and, and malls, online stores weren't websites. They were represented as virtual reality, first-person stores that you were yeah, going to walk and, into. And, and think, how, how out of date was that? Because look back, what people were trying to create was a 3D representation of a shop that you would walk around in the same inefficient manner that you walk around a yeah. real shop yeah. to do your shopping. Yeah. It was so backward thinking it the was second life game is as close to that as possible yeah <clears throat> yeah well it's how we approach everything when we bring it into a new era you know we uh we 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 kind of put like all our the old way of looking at things at it and then as new people come along they they shake that stuff yeah down. i think and, the and two the two industries that are going to push this are the same two industries that are going to push this oh come uh, on Hopey. go and get your credit games. card out tell it tell us what it is you subscribe to the two things that you buy are <laughs> games and porn yeah there we go <laughs> Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that honestly, still feeling a little nostalgic. My name is Chris. And my name is Matt. Hey there, Matt. So we had, uh, last week, we had a show that was pre-done for us because we were uh, taking some time off during the Beard Apocalypse and during the scale coverage, which we're going to do a little bit more of in today's episode. A couple of interviews. Um, one that I put back in the rotation based on a request from an audience member because it's for a really great cause. And one that really blew me away. Uh, I didn't expect to ever feature an interview on the Linux Action Show or Linux Unplugged from this company, but Noah got it. And uh, we found out they use a lot more Linux than we expected. And then Hmm. also there's a uh, really in-depth discussion with an Ubuntu representative at at the Ubuntu booth. Uh, So uh, we'll play those coming up in the show a little bit. And then also, after all of that... Uh, I'm going to uh, pick Wimpy's ear on uh, all of the developments going on with the Ubuntu Mate project, uh, some of their news, and also uh, just maybe any mate updates in general and some other stuff. So, Matt, we got a lot of ground to cover. Good stuff. We got you know we got to get down to business. So I thought first there's just a couple of like uh, speaking of being nostalgic, there's just a couple of things I wanted to touch on. Uh, first one before we get into the main show, I don't know if this makes you feel old or what. Uh, n- on this day. In 1999, March 3rd, 2015. Yeah, it's March. <laughs> Guys, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, it's March. Uh, GNOME 1.0 was released on uh, March 3rd, 1999. Wow. Uh, Slash.headline goes as follows, uh, or uh, blurb. Uh, GNOME 1.0 is now released for download. Please pursue the uh, pursue the press release and then download it via a convenient FTP mirror. And then they also say, uh, and I forgot about this extension, and then they have this update uh, the next uh, the next day. Forgot to plug my own program. If you've installed Gnome and want scrolling slash dot headlines in your panel, check under Applets Amusements slash app. Wow. Do you remember yeah, the slash dot headlines I, in man, your panel? Do you remember man. <laughs> You know, well, I, I was reading them in between the, you know, because I had to stock my uh, compound up for Y2K and all that. So I was, right, you know, yes, right. busy with all that sort of stuff. Yes, but, that, yeah. was a bit, that, that year was the busy <laughs> year. Uh, all right. So uh, let's bring in the Mumble Room. Time appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. 
Mm-hmm. Hey, hello. Hey, hey, hello. hey guys. Good it, evening. Anybody in here old enough to actually remember the release of GNOME 1.0? I'm not going to say if I was <laughs> I remember. Wimpies. Yeah, I am old enough. And also, uh, dare I say it, that it was much easier to compile KDE back then. So I was a KDE user back, back in those days. Oh, wow. <laughs> good, good times. times good times you know what it makes me think of it makes me th- it makes me think of kd as well because that was actually a hardcore kd user back in back in those days so it actually made me think of the same thing uh all right so uh in the pre-show which uh if you're listening on the download will probably be featured it though in, in the post show how about that for a little time travel mm. uh we got into a big discussion about uh smart and wearables it's the big thing right now. You know, next week's the Apple Watch event, and uh, Pebble's <laughs> got their Kickstarter going right now, which I think I'm totally going to back, and Poby just back during the pre-show. But nobody's been talking about what the Firefox OS is doing watch-wise. So I found this article over at Linux Gizmo's Pocket Watch, a pocket watch that runs Firefox OS. Screw putting it on your wrist. Check this thing out with its slick, sexy wood style. It's got a, a uh, Japanese-style wood that's beautiful. Uh, and it has a camera built in right wow. to it. It's got a metal ring around the uh, front. And uh, you can hold it kind of like a smooth pebble. It's a disc shape. fits in the palm of one's hand. And the round screen is fairly small. But it, fe- it appears to be probably larger than most Android Wear devices, like the Moto 360. Look at that. Mm. What do you mm. think of that? Mm. I don't know. You know, I'm, I almost want to say I'm skeptical. No, it actually <laughs> sounds pretty cool. It does sound pretty cool. I'd, I'd, it's one of those things I'd want to actually try before I could really give a proper judgment. But it sounds, it sounds pretty cool. So, uh, mm. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> a little skeptical? <laughs> yeah, I am very skeptical. Uh, uh, just Does everybody have to be doing this, really? Like, can we all, do we all have to be doing this? Can, can some of us just focus on one thing and just do one thing? Right. That would be nice. Don't ask Popey, because apparently Ubuntu can't. Oh, I'm just kidding. Now. <laughs> just kidding. I get, you know, your guys' pre-show got me all riled up. I'm all fired up now. <laughs> it's like, they, they were really going at it. Now I'm all, I'm all ready to go. Uh, which kind of, uh, while I'm at it, I'll take, a, I'll take just a quick shot at Wimpy. Uh, just a real quick one. Um, Wimpy. I got to give a thumbs down to the Amazon Fire TV. Thumbs down. I, I mean, I wanted to love a, a Linux running rig like, uh, like no other. But uh, in my estimation, for the money, the Roku 3 is the much better buy. It is. So I heard you, I, I heard you hint that you were not impressed with my uh, recommendation on, uh, on Unplugged, I think. So, uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah, maybe it's a geographical thing because I think you're more spoiled in the U.S., with online, um, you know, media services. I'll give you a basic, you know, here's a basic bar. There's, first of all, there's no Jupiter Broadcasting app. Right. No, there's right. that. There's a dedicated Roku app. Uh, now, you could sideload it. Now, see, a big part of my complaints are if you sideload most of the apps, it solves most of the problems. But I just find the Amazon app selection to be extremely limited. It's like I have three apps maybe that I like, four apps. Yeah. That's I, I sideload almost everything on it. I have a really great GUI so, sideloader. So, nice, so I think this is where the difference is. So you have mm. to sideload things to get what you would consider normal service, whereas in the UK, what we would consider a complete service is available through the App Store, um, which is where it differs from the Roku. Hmm. Wow. I, I also feel like the Roku kind of has a much more freewheeling, open community where uh, anyone can contribute. Uh, it was That's not, certainly true. Yeah, yeah. and I, so I like that aspect of it a bit too. 
Uh, I don't know. I just, I mean, it's, they're both at the end of the day. Ding ding. I try. I'm trying not to say that anymore. But at the end of the day, they both will play my Plex files. They, you both can you can sideload Cody on them. Uh, or I don't know about the Roku, but you can sideload Cody on the uh, Fire, so that's good. I mean, that gives it a major plus in my book. But the thing I really like about the Roku is it does feel um, it's a little bit faster to get just to what I want. There's less yeah. stuff they're trying to sell me, like all the Prime stuff. It's all up in my face. And then also uh, uh, that there's a Jupiter Broadcasting app, which is really nice. I would go so far because I have both. I have the, I have the stick for uh, for the Amazon situation, but it's the same same experience. I do feel like Amazon's experience is very much like a gigantic ad being blasted in my face the entire time. Um, no question about that. Side loading just to get it to work even remotely usable. Um, that being said, when you actually get into something like Plex or whatnot, um, Roku feels painfully dated. Painfully dated. I mean, yeah. just yeah. really bad. Yeah. Although that is changing. Plex yeah. has actually got a, a new thing coming out. Yeah, there, they but. do. There is a Plex update coming for the Roku, but, uh, but it's still not going to be as yeah. nice as the Fire. And and you know the the Netflix app on the Fire TV supports multiple profiles, but on yes. the Roku it doesn't. No, it so. does now. It does now. Yeah, it does now. Uh, not in the UK, it doesn't. Oh, oh. <laughs> doesn't. Oh, okay. Yeah, so anyways, Firefox so, yeah, is working think, on a thing. So may, may, maybe, you know, we're, we're playing a bit of catch-up and our Goodness, you know, I almost would say VPN is your friend, I think, if you live in a region where you're not... ...services that we have here. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, you, you might even get different firmwares, for all I know, uh, that has different, maybe even different menus. Um, either way, uh, I, I, that was just my roundabout way to say uh, that uh, they're both good devices, they both run Linux, of course, but... I wasn't uh, crazy impressed with uh, with Fire TV. I'm not crazy impressed with Firefox's attempt here. I mean, I'm I'm totally willing to give it a go. Maybe it's not even the Mozilla project because I literally just found this before the show just to talk to you guys about it. Um, I I kind of like if I if I step back and thought about it being possible, you know, you could think about maybe putting a GSM connection in this thing. You know, if there yeah. was a way, if there was a way to really kind of uh, make this thing connected so it was a true, true legitimate computer. That would be that would be kind of interesting. Then you might have my attention, uh, but uh, I just I don't think you could put the horsepower or the battery life in it to pull it off yet. Maybe one day. Maybe you got to start somewhere, right, guys? Speaking of starting somewhere, I'll tell you where I'm going to start right now. Let's start with our first sponsor this week, and that's Ting. Now this is a great time to move to Ting because Ting is rolling out the open beta to their GSM network. And uh, you remember our buddy Chase from uh, How to Linux, and uh, he's actually been on Linux Unplugged a couple times. He is setting up a pretty sophisticated security system, and he said, "You know what? You know it's something you've never mentioned, but a great use for Ting." is remote systems that need internet connectivity but don't use a lot of data. They send off reports or they do a nightly upload like once a night or a weekly thing. He said, Ting's perfect for this. He says, I looked around and I said I could buy some prepaid things. I had different routes to go. But Ting's flat $6 a month. Then just pay for what you use. And I don't need any voicemail. And uh, he has a thing you can send uh, SMS text messages and then do uh, image uploads and video uploads. And so he just, when he needs to send a text message a couple of times a month, he pays for the text... And it's like nothing. It's like nothing. It's so great. And there's no early termination fee if he wants to turn it off because there's no contract. It's a really cool service. And, in fact, if you go over to uh, linux.ting.com, you can take advantage of the Linux Unplugged discount and support the Linux Unplugged podcast. It's a great way to say, hey, I heard about this on Unplugged, and I really appreciate you helping them stay on the air. So go to linux.ting.com. It's like $25 off your first device. And then you can go grab, like, this uh, Ting GSM card. And this is cool because it's uh, pre-cut to multiple different sizes. So uh, you grab this one thing, and it fits in uh, your various different devices. Uh, Ting also just added the Moto G. 
for $91. This is unbelievable. This is an unbelievable phone for $91. And you get it with no contract. It's unlocked. It's yours. $6. Go to linux.ting.com. Here's, uh, here's another route you could go. These Novatel MiFi devices. This is like internet in your pocket. $6 for this MiFi hotspot. It's tri-band LTE. You get the signal coverage right there. This is a great way to go. And then, the, of course, if you want to spend just a little bit more, just a few dollars more, you can get the Netgear with the uh, LED screen, and it gives you the touch interface and uh, all that kind of stuff. They've also now got the Kyocera Hydro Vibe, which is a slick phone, as well as the LG G3, the Nexus 5, the iPhones, the Galaxy Tab, and the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus uh, unlocked and all yours, including the HTC M8. Go to linux.ting.com. Try out their savings calculator. Give it a try. See what you might save. You'd be surprised. Put your actual usage in there. And then also check out the Ting blog. Like right now they're talking about like their customer service demands right now with their new uh, GSM rollout, but also uh, some changes in the uh, Sprint network, which uh, they're dealing with and updating customers on their blog. And you can read more about it. Ting's really great about updating their customers. It's a great way to go because they have an incredible control panel. No hold customer service. You only pay for what you use. Unlocked phones. I mean, it's just like it's just a, it's a really great way to go. And like one of the things that I constantly, constantly mention because it's just so damn useful is every phone just has hotspot and tethering. It's just part of the plan. Like it's just not like they don't try to trick you into some sort of gimmicky plan where you have to pay more. You just turn it on and have it. And I think about with the T with the uh, GSM network now coming online for those of us who have devices like, you know, many of the multi SIM devices, but the Nexus five is one of them. You now have the advantage to switch between GSM or CDMA. Now, you're going to have to figure out how to do that and make sure you can manage it in the Ting control panel, and they're going to have more information on that soon. You can switch between whichever area has the better service and then turn on the hotspot or tethering, and you're just paying for the data usage. That's pretty slick. Linux.ting.com. Go check them out. And a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged program. Woo-hoo. Guys are kicking butt. Keep up the good work. Okay, so uh, then there was one more thing I wanted to discuss with the uh, with the panel because there's a there's a piece of software we've talked a lot about on the Linux Unplugged show, and I think a fair amount of us uh, on the show have used it for at least different periods of time, if not extensively. Uh, BitTorrent Sync, new version announced today. They're rolling out BitTorrent Sync Pro, or just call it Sync if you're hip. Forty dollars a year. Okay. Uh, this, uh, uh, this is, they say, as they bring the beta to an end, they're exiting beta as Sync 2.0 comes out. BitTorrent is introducing a business-focused pro tier starting at $39.99 per year per user. Not per device, but per user. To date, there have been over 10 million downloads of the alpha and beta versions of Sync, generating 145 petabytes of data, according to the VP Product Management, Eric Pounds, in an interview with TechCrunch. The pro product's $40 charge, they say, is competitive when you compare it to Microsoft's $90 for uh, own, uh, own cloud, or what, not own cloud, uh, OneDrive, and uh, $99 for Dropbox. Here's the really big catch, though. The free edition, if you don't pay the $40 per year for BitTorrent Sync now, the free edition, limited to 10 folders. Unlimited in size in those 10 folders. So that means at the root level, only 10 folders. Hmm. Uh, so the uh, other features of Pro include control over folder permissions and ownership that can you can change at any time. Uh, once you link all personal devices together via private NA, all your shared folders are available wherever you need them. 
Uh, consume on-demand view contents of very large folders. Consume only the content you need and preserve the storage capacity, which is useful, especially, say, on mobile devices. That is very useful. I use Dropbox. It's one of the reasons I still use Dropbox very heavily is Selective Sync. And also adding prior, you get, uh, you get uh, technical support, like priority technical support for the pro version. Uh. Limited to 10 folders now if you update to the new BitTorrent Sync 2.0 that just came out today. Boy, you know, I'm actually, for now, I'm okay with it, but I think in the future, I might have to start looking at alternatives. I don't know. Hmm. I feel, I don't know. It's a, boy, it sure I mean, I'm not, I'm not real happy with it. I know that. but I sure am getting sick of uh, the beta label being used as an excuse for uh, making yeah. bait and switches okay. Because here's what I feel oh, yeah. like what happened is, here, everybody, go out and implement our technology. Help us prove it out. Make sure we bang on the code, but also get hooked on our infrastructure. Yeah. And then, uh, oh, by the way, now, now thanks. To, it's no longer beta, so now we get to charge. Oh, but we're also going to remove functionality, right? Because see, the problem is, is I have like, um, I have a folder for all the unfiltered supporter uh, shows, notes, all the notes for all the unfiltered shows. Well, uh, that I share that folder out directly. So when you subscribe to that folder, you get every show's notes in one folder. Well, right now that'd be that's hundreds of folders, right? So I would have to restructure the way I do all my syncs and put that in. A, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work at all for me. This this sort of this to- totally breaks the way I use BitTorrent Sync. Personally, well, and I also I think it proves a, a good argument for uh, other alternatives at yeah. some point, you know, yeah. something that's open source that you know is not as likely to do that to you in the future, but the same. Yeah. yeah. So I, is it, I've, go ahead. With is me. It, I've, I've been testing alternatives as a, uh, fallback plan for BT sync. Cause this has been rumored for, yeah. for some months now. Yeah. And the only solution that I found, and this is for my personal synchronization of files that can rival BT sync in terms of volume of files and size of files is C file S E A F I L E right C file.com, which is an open source solution. Um, I, I can't get sync thing to scale up to what I'm trying to do, but C file does, but I don't know Chris, whether it's going to work for your use case or not. So you'll have to give it a try and, uh, yeah. and see how it works. You know, for it's you. such a shame because being able to just give out a key and then anybody just has that key and now is syncing is it, even though that, that big long key is scary looking the in, in actual practice that is so elegant, no links needed, no names, nothing to search. Right. Yeah, I don't even have to like go like give them an email address to the BitTorrent Sync program to send them an invite link. Like I could just instant message them a hash key, and it's just so nice. I miss that. I'm going to miss that so much. So that's the so that's the, and that's the major problem with Sync thing. That's the major major problem with Sync thing is I just could not yeah. individually add every single person to my swarm or whatever. And and Sync thing, even if you've got you know four or five laptops, you know, shared between your family then it gets in a pickle just managing that few number of devices. So, yeah, sync thing really doesn't work so well once you get, get beyond a few devices. And the other nice thing about the way the BitTorrent sync works is it's essentially a CDN because uh, as a few people uh, grab the file, they then seed the rest of the other files. So it's, I really like the way it distributes large media files. Uh, uh, so I, I wonder if I bought the Pro... Which is pretty easy to justify as a business expense. If the everyone else subscribing would have to have pro, or if, or if they just get, 
if they just get the advantage of um, me having pros so I can have more than 10 folders. Because that's fine. I'll pay $40 for that. I think that's an important differentiator because even if it's in fact that they don't have to have pro now, what's to say six months down the road, they're like, hey, you know, we could really increase well, our revenue. Yeah, you know what that. I mean? That's the problem. Pro that's, on both ends to get to that many folders. Yep. Yeah, that's the question. Like on Dropbox, right? If you have a really big folder, both people on both ends of the Dropbox have to have uh, more storage on their account. So I guess historically, if we look at this based on their pattern of behavior, we know that they have no problem shafting you for a buck. So it may, it may be good to look into some alternatives now before it becomes even more you know, oh, of an issue later. Man, you're making me sad, dude. I know. Giving, giving you a sad. That's you are. You are giving me a sad. <laughs> because really, this, this, this works so well for what I need. Because it doesn't, it doesn't require any centralized cloud storage. Right. Uh, exactly. You know, it distributes these large files. Each person acts as a seeder. Uh, it's it's just the pub- the publishing process. This would be true with most sync things, but the publishing process is I drop things in a folder. So I think going forward, because realistically, you, it, pulling the plug on it just out of spite right now is just not realistic. Going forward, keep things as they're going now. Do what you got to do to keep it up. But in the background, begin looking at alternatives oh, so yeah, that if yeah, you have to pull sure. the trigger, you literally just basically uh, you know, switch the tracks versus yeah, going, sure. oh, my God. <laughs> you know? uh, Daredevil, you had something you wanted to jump in with? Yes, pretty much. I was just wanted to point out that own cloud, even though it's uh, currently not supporting, and they did, didn't even set up as in the roadmap of setting. Let's say the clients can actually go and work as a central place as well, the client itself. But they have federated own cloud um, hosting, so you could have two own clouds communicating together. So I'm not sure yeah. how feasible would it be. On but your then I would have to, to have, have like everybody in the unfiltered audience that wants to participate with an own cloud instance. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, it's I, like the same way you have the client, though. So if you instead think of it as if you had it locally installed instead of in a server, right? And that's the federation you have. Well, that's pretty much what you already have, which is a client right now. And uh, Heaven's Revenge, you wanted to mention Pure.io? Yes, I found this little programmer application called Pirio um, a few days ago. It is kind of a personalized vault that you use. There's no limitations on file size. It's got a built-in messenger. It's actually built from the same person who makes Minilock and CryptoCat. Everything is encrypted and you only have the key. Hmm. It is interesting because it's only for you, and I know that you can send messages to people and I can send you a link to the file. It's not much of a synchronization sort of rsync or BitTorrent sync type thing, which kind of link all of your things together, but you do, you can send files around, and there is no limitation. It's limited by your upstream bandwidth or downstream bandwidth and whoever you send the messages to. It's more of a completely... Seems like it could be a good uh, collaborative, like little uh, back and forth... uh families use it i've been trying to use it with a few like one friend but it's not very i can't exactly give a full recommendation based on only using it with one person okay i i might uh i might play around with it a bit it looks interesting and there's a chrome extension you can add it's native which can be on mac windows or any chrome that you want so peerio.com peerio.com and i'll have a link in the show notes peerio.com uh, okay, uh, uh, Wimpy, you wanted to jump in on the own cloud uh, syncing point. Yeah, I've I've tried own cloud through version five, six, seven, and eight, 
uh, or is it eight, seven? Which what, what's that now? Eight is that the new one? Um, yeah, and it's great for syncing, you know, contacts and calendar and stuff like that. I've had good success in using it for that, but I've never really got it to work well with with large volumes of um, file synchronization. Mm. Mm. Um, and, and I've really tried, I really want that to work because everyone keeps raving about it. And I don't think that I can be so unusual because it's just, just me and some, some data that I need to shunt around the place, but yeah. I just can't, I can't get it to work for me reliably. And the thing is, is it sort of fails silently. So you end up with all of your devices out of sync and then you have to sort of unpick the tangle by hand. Um, so yeah, yeah. I'd, Noah's I'd love, uh, Noah's experienced uh, quite a few problems with the file sync as well. Uh, BitTorrent sync has been a rock for me, so uh, even more so than Bit Dropbox has been. Yeah, yeah, it's been super reliable for me, and that's why I'm so disappointed yeah, that yeah. you know we we'd hoped that it might become open source, but no, they've gone the other way. Yeah, you know time, that's time part of that's part of what feels like the bait and switch is they were kind yeah. of. Um, uh, you know, they danced around that, oh, maybe, yeah, we'll think about yeah. it. And now it feels like that was uh, sort of uh, a mislead. Feels a little bad, a little yucky. You know what feels good? Linux Fest Northwest. And I, I'm, the reason why I'm plugging this is because I want to meet you. I want to say hi to you or say hi to you again if you made it before. Uh, come say hi to Matt, too. He'll be there. Right, mm-hmm. Matt? You're going to make yeah. it, right, Matt? Oh, absolutely. Talk. I'm sure by then we'll have uh, – few episodes of how to linux out so people will have all kinds of things to talk to you about and uh we'll also have as much of the crew coming as possible so it'd be great to see you and uh we are in the process this week kind of like really locking in some plans so if you'd like to be involved somehow or something to contribute email angela at jupiterbroadcasting.com and let her know uh and uh, it's uh it's april 25th and 26th bellingham washington linux fest northwest 2015 I should, we should be considered a sponsor. You know, I'm going to talk to them. I plug them like every week. Yeah, you should. I but I want to so. see you guys there uh, because uh, I'm going to be walking around a bit more. Uh, will there be swag? You know, actually, uh, so this is something uh, we're, we are talking about. We're talking about doing a limited run Linux Fest Northwest shirt um, because one of the things we want to do is offer uh, reimbursement for some of the people that have to travel. Because mm. uh, if you think about it, like uh, – Chris Moore is on the uh, is on the East Coast. Uh, of course, uh, Q5 and Rotten Corpse are on the East, right? So it, to br- to bring to bring them in, and, and Alan as well. Although Alan, I, I suspect, will probably volunteer to fund himself, but I would offer to fund his trip as well. All on the East to bring them over to Linux Fest Northwest, and then to put them up in a room <laughs> for three days or whatever it's going to be. Uh, yeah, that's going to be a nightmare expense-wise. So, yeah, we'll, we'll probably run a limited-run Linux Fest Northwest shirt to try to not only give you guys something unique for Linux Fest that we can have there, which means we've got to start it soon, but to also help uh, raise funds to cover some of those costs. I, I don't think it would cover even half of it, but maybe we could. Who knows? So we'll probably have more about that soon, and uh, I'll let you know. Well, and speaking of doing something soon regarding Linux Fest Northwest, I, I've been going for many years. I'm actually originally from Bellingham, so I'm going to give you all some advice. And when it comes to hotels and motels, start reserving immediately. Don't wait. Mm, yeah, uh, get, and, get get in early because it will fill up so fast, and you yeah. will be left with the places and the, the the motels you might not want to stay in. I'll just leave it at that. There, so. uh, there are uh, some really good ones too, but you get yes. them go, go them fast. Uh, yeah, Bellingham is. Um, it's a good taste of Washington in, in an interesting way. It's a little eclectic. It's a little hippie, yep. but it's 
that's that's oh, well. Washington, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of hippie, um, if you the two areas you want to pay attention to, Meridian and Fairhaven, that's pretty much where you want your hotels to appear. Okay. You want to avoid uh, Samish, uh, generally speaking. Yeah. There's some. That's pretty hit and miss, but yeah. Uh, also, uh, if you are a beer fan, some of the best beer in the Pacific Northwest is going to be there. A lot of great breweries oh, up yeah. there. Also, some folks uh, at the fest usually every year who are uh, brewers that use Linux. We've featured them before. They'll be there. I mean, really good stuff. Traditionally, also, they've had an after party at the Spark Museum, which is a really great radio museum. Really, really nice. And they have a Tesla coil there that they fire off, and uh, there's food. It's, it's a really unique thing. Uh, and oh, Bellingham's uh, all about the the food and the brew for sure. Yeah, so it's a good trip. It's and and Linux Fest Northwest. I I think you know having been around and seen a lot of them, I think this is got to be in one of the top three fests uh, in the country. So, it's well, and it's cool to watch how it's matured over the years because I mean you remember the old ones. I mean it was oh. just very di- very different. I th- I've very been going different. since not quite, but since nearly high school and a little bit after high wow. school, but quite. Okay. I mean, it's been a, I've been going a really long time. I've been going since the first person I started going with was my high school, one of my, my high school computer teacher. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's crazy. <laughs> so, wow. I, yeah. I, uh, now, that was a couple of years after I was out of high school. But so I've been I've been going so long that I, I've been going. Angela used to go with me to help me take notes. And right. uh, she'd be there for a while when she was pregnant. And she'd be like trying to sit in those <laughs> seats, wild. you know, be at Ball Prego, helping me take <laughs> oh my notes. Gosh. And, yeah. Oh, so, man. That's wild. It really has. It really has come into it's something else. And something else that's kind of unique that they do. Uh, and it's perfect because it's the Pacific Northwest is they have a, a college there that has uh, some chef courses and mm-hmm. they do a big barbecue. Now, you can leave. We often leave because we, we usually have a large crew. But uh, they're, they're at the college campus. They're barbecuing up salmon and ribs and stuff like that. And the salmon's really good stuff. So there's also a, it's a good opportunity to get some uh, Pacific Northwest barbecued salmon. And they have these big barbecue grills they cook them on. And there's enough local of, uh, folks of us that we, you know, usually able to provide transportation for most everyone. So. Yeah, that's a pretty good time. So that'll be uh, April uh, 25th and 26th. You can find out more at mm-hmm. linuxfestnorthwest.org. They're not paying me to plug it. I just really would like to see you guys. And it's a good. It's, we only. It's the biggest one we do in the year because it's here yeah. in our backyard, and we don't have to fly all the gear everywhere, so we can go a little bigger. Uh, that's right. Uh, hopefully, we'll have. Uh, we'll have maybe by Linux Action Show on Sunday, we'll have the uh, fest swag stuff ready. Uh, all right, so uh, we got to. Uh, speaking of fest, we got to talk. A, we got a couple of more interviews to play from Scale, and then we got to talk m- about Matei because I mean, damn, it, it, yeah, I, I I never would have expected so much exciting things to be happening with a desktop based on the known tomb paradigm. I you know, like if you would have asked me a year ago where some of the most interesting things were happening, I wasn't I wasn't going to guess that. So we're also going to talk to Wimpy about some of that stuff because it's crazy exciting. Uh, first, I'm going to talk about DigitalOcean. Head over to DigitalOcean.com right now. DigitalOcean.com. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to make him a jingle. We have a. Uh, <laughs> oh my. <laughs> we have. We do have a promo code though. That I do have. D O unplugged. One word. D O unplugged. Go. Uh, go over there and use that. That. Just keep that in mind while I tell you about DigitalOcean. Now you see why you want a promo code. Uh, so DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider, and they're dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up your own cloud server. And it's legit. You're going to get root access to this thing. You get to watch it boot all the way up. You get this great console to manage it. And it's a it's a it's a FreeBSD or a Linux rig. But come on, let's be honest. It's going to be a Linux rig, right? You're not an animal. It's a Linux rig, and it's going <laughs> to rock, and it's super fast. I, I would go recommend you just go spin one up over at DigitalOcean. Use the promo code DOUnplugged. You get a ten dollar credit, and just kind of play around with that, the package management, the speed of it, and just have some fun. You'll get, you'll you'll find too. You'll you'll get started in less than a minute, probably about fifty five seconds or less. Sometimes it's as low as 26 seconds. I've gotten some crazy tweets. 
And the pricing plans start only $5 per month. It'll get you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. A terabyte for $5? Yeah, I, I, one of the things I do for a living is I distribute content. <laughs> I can't when I look at that when I say $5. I think maybe I'll just buy like <laughs> six or seven of these. Right. You know, just actually the problem is, is uh, let's see, one terabyte. Yeah. That would be a lot of droplets. So, okay, it wouldn't mm-hmm. quite work out. But, you know, you, you might not have that problem. One terabyte, might is, well, I would imagine, is way more than enough. And if you're thinking about maybe setting up something like C-File or OwnCloud or BitTorrent Sync or SyncThing, isn't drop, isn't, and you, you could go pay for somebody's ridiculous amount of cloud storage or for way less money, you could have it on your own rig up in the cloud that you control at DigitalOcean, Right. There's a lot of opportunity there. They have one-click deployment applications, too, some really great stuff. You can do full DNS management over there. They have data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London. I love that, too, because if you're going to do the sync stuff, that's something to consider. And then you know you'll have that interface to manage it. And that interface that they have is so intuitive. The control panel is crazy powerful, but yet, like, they didn't make it very complicated. So you can get through at a really fast pace and get everything you need, but not feel like they've removed some sort of necessary feature because they've just they've just spent time to make sure you have access to all that stuff but it's designed well running all on top of linux which is beautiful at this tier with these tier one data connections go over there right now try it out do unplugged go spin yourself up something like a ghost installation a wordpress install there's so many possibilities digitalocean.com see what we've been talking about use the promo code do unplugged and a big thanks to digitalocean for sponsoring the linux unplugged program you guys rock. Now, uh, Matt, uh, I love these uh, clips that uh, Kernel Linux, uh, or a.k.a. Noah, got at, uh, at uh, scale because uh, I'd never been, and I was kind of on the fence this year. It looks like I'm definitely going next year. There's some great folks to talk to. Uh, why don't we start with uh, the Kids on Computers initiative? This is one that a uh, longtime viewer, EB, wrote in, and he said, you got to feature this one because I saw it on your live event, but you didn't play it in last. He says this is a really good cause, and he wanted to know more information about it, and he was right. Uh, I, I went back and I watched the clip, and I thought he's absolutely right. So uh, for a good cause, here is uh, Kids on the Computer at uh, Scale 13X. So as both a father... As both a father of two kids that I desperately want them to be all involved in computers at least as much as possible and understanding uh, the ramifications if they're not into technology and as a person who wants to see Linux implemented wherever possible, I was beyond elated to come across Stormy with the Kids on Computers project here at Scale where they, well, they do amazing things. They do amazing things. They Not only do they bring computers to kids, they essentially build their own little mini internet to take to places that don't have access to the internet. How are you today, Stormy? I'm great. I'm glad to be here at Scale talking to everybody about this. Yeah, it's fun, right? And, yeah. and, and so, so I guess my first question is: you obviously, when you're dealing, if you're if you're if your goal is to go out and put computers to kids that don't already have them, chances are that there's probably not a lot of money. The budget isn't real high for doing these kinds of things, right? No, they usually have no budget. So we actually, we either collect donated computers and install Linux and, and free software on them, the educational software, 
or we, we uh, apply for grants and get money to buy new computers. But the schools themselves have no money. Um, we do like the communities to be very involved, so it's been really awesome. At some of our schools, the parents do fundraisers, or they pitch in a dollar or two a month per kid, which is a lot of money for them. And they've been able to like set up computer labs, build the buildings. Um, both parents, you know, they had parents build the buildings to put the computer labs in. Um, they hired computer teachers off of donations that they've, they've gotten. So we work in communities where people are really willing to give and they participate, but there's no money there. So can you, can you tell me why, uh, can you tell me how that plays into Linux per se? I mean, why not, why not purchase uh, Microsoft Windows or why not purchase a bunch of Macs? So our goal is to empower kids to be able to create and to do things in the world. And, and so by giving them Linux and free software, things that they can like learn how they work, maybe not in the beginning, but you know they can learn how they work and they tweak them and they can build on it, is much more powerful than teaching them that the world is about pirated software that they have to steal from someone. Right on the head. Right on the head. So, uh, so in a lot of these places, I understand that there isn't a lot of money, and that, that leads to not a lot of services, and not a lot of services means there perhaps might not actually be Internet there. So tell me about the tools that you give these kids so that they can access the Internet without having access to the Internet. Yeah, so the main thing we wanted to bring was, like, the knowledge of the world and education to these kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've worked with different things, like um, Rachel and Khan Academy, and we give them essentially on every machine, for sure, educational software, mm-hmm. so they can play math games or things. We give mm-hmm. them a full offline copy of Wikipedia, um, usually in their native language, and always in their native language so far. And we, we give them a complete set of the Khan Academy videos, um, all the ones in their language as well. That's crazy. So we don't have Wikipedia. We don't have access to Wikipedia. So we'll bring the Wikipedia to you. Yes, it's really amazing. They, they have an entire, more than what it would be in a set of encyclopedias on every computer, and they can look up their info. It's cool. In one school, we were setting up the computers, and this is in this little town in Mexico that they have, they not only don't have internet, cell phones don't work there. They're in a canyon, and they don't have any, like, landline. So they really don't have any communication. Uh-huh. And we had three moms come in while we were working, and they sat there the entire afternoon and browsed through Wikipedia. <laughs> Khan Academy. <laughs> and this wasn't on the internet? No, no, like just in this little lab, in this little town, in this little canyon, like these, these people played with it. That's unbelievable. Is there a particular distribution that you use when you go to, uh, to, to set up these computers for kids? We've played with a bunch of them, so we're not tied into any. We've tried Edubuntu, we've tried Lubuntu. Um, at the moment, we're using Ubermix. Um, okay. One of the things we need is something that runs with really low memory right. on really right. old machines mm-hmm. um, that's very customizable, so... Right. It has, so it has to be new enough. It has to be new enough and late, late, late enough that those kids are getting a good that they're getting a relevant experience. And at the same time, it has to be accommodating to very legacy hardware, essentially. Yeah, it's it's the hardware and the amount of memory and stuff that were that limits us. Well, that's absolutely outstanding. If people wanted to, I assume that you guys could always use a donation or could always use a, you know, a, a plug for, uh, for your website. So if people wanted to give back, if people wanted to donate hardware, if people wanted to donate money, where could they go? They could go to www.kidsoncomputers.org. Um, you can get involved there. We're always looking for volunteers, whether you like working with technology or you're good at marketing or you speak another language. We've got something to do. Um, donations help. The money goes a long ways. Like, you know, for very little money, we can bring a donated laptop to a, a country and give it to someone. So donated hardware or money. Um, we're doing a fundraiser here for, for cool hats. They are made by a local businessman in one of the communities that we work with. Yeah. And so we're selling those as a fundraiser. 
All right. Well, outstanding. And this is a way that if you if you uh, if you care to contribute to this project, not only are you contributing towards Linux, you're not only are you contributing towards open source, but you are putting in the hands of kids that wouldn't. Not only they're not people that you're not converting people from Windows. You are converting people from no computer at all to a Linux-based experience, and that that's essentially what they are going to know. You have the power to do that. So I, I you know, I, you know, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you for going out to do all this. This is a super cool project, and I'm really excited to follow you and see how things go. Thanks so much for stopping by and spreading the word. Please, please come help us out. We appreciate it. That's a pretty neat initiative. Uh, I, I actually kind of wish I could figure out more of those things and, and help direct uh, more attention to them. I feel like I have just some stuff I could send to these places. We we should seriously one day, I don't know, if I, we'd have to have somebody that would be committed to doing the legwork, but we should seriously consider one day doing a roundup of places all around the world maybe or at least in the UK and the US and Canada where uh, people could donate equipment that would get then loaded with Linux like you have to you know stuff that would go for Linux towards Linux use and deployment that'd be really cool sounds awesome uh, well that was uh, a really interesting uh, initiative so that's kids on computers and uh, you can uh, you can check that out so we have uh, we have two more interviews to play, and this next one's a bit of a long one, and it's because there's a lot to cover. It's the Ubuntu booth one, and I saved it just for this episode because it is kind of long, but it's there's so much ground. And then the one after that is the one that I never thought we'd feature an interview from on any of our shows, let alone that they were big Linux users, but it makes a lot of sense. So uh, we'll start with the Ubuntu one first. Many times as I walk around these conferences, I find it increasingly difficult to actually find Linux. I know that sounds a little weird, but being at a Linux convention, sometimes finding the Linux isn't so easy. I especially have a, a place, a special place in my heart for people that use Linux on the desktop. Now, I'm here with Nathan, and he's from Ubuntu, the community outreach. They, he very much cares about seeing Linux on the desktop. Isn't that right? Yeah, it's the most important thing in the world. I agree with you. I mean, world peace and, and world hunger, those things don't pale in comparison to getting people to use Linux on the desktop. I think because there's so many proprietary operating systems uh, on retail stores that that's why we don't have world peace. I agree. <clears throat> I agree. I think it contributes to all the problems in the world. And I think if we had desktop Linux, that would solve all of these. So, obviously, uh, we're here. We have some fine-looking System76 machines behind us. And, of course, the orange, which represents Ubuntu. Tell me what it is specifically that makes Ubuntu such a great desktop operating system for regular users. So we take um, the hardware capabilities and stability of the Linux kernel. We take the massive amount of software available for Debian uh, and additionally for Ubuntu. We take that, we polish it. We have a clear goal of what we want on the desktop. We have the Unity desktop interface that mm -hmm. scales beautifully to large screens, laptops, touch screens, mm -hmm. um, phones as well. Yeah. And so as we take this this uh, software with a, with a clear, strong vision across different devices... Uh, I think that that one unified vision is what helps Ubuntu be so so awesome on the desktop. Now I see that you have the BQ there. Uh, now those aren't you said those aren't shipping actually until March. So you're kind of a special person in the U.S. to have one of those. Yes. Uh, so there were about 50 people uh, who were uh, Ubuntu insiders that were flown to the launch event. Mm -hmm. I was not one of them. Stuart Langridge was, and uh, so I stole his phone. He was he was actually uh, nice enough to donate it to the booth this weekend. Mm -hmm. And Jono might donate his uh, tomorrow. So we'll have two of these. And this is just so the Nexus fours we have are development phones, and they run really beautifully. Um, but there's a lot of um, the the specs in this are kind of low, and people are really upset because they're used to really high end Android phones yeah. performing okay. Well, Ubuntu is so optimized 
this uh, this phone works beautifully. Uh, you know, just even on, on these specs. So we're demonstrating that today. That's outstanding. Now, how do you like the actual usability of Ubuntu uh, on the phone? Because I, I installed it, uh, and, and granted it was a couple months ago, but I found there were some very key features I found to be lacking. So, for example, I didn't see an email client. So there is an email client. Uh, it's, it's been developed by, um, by uh, I think they're canonical members, but, but by the community. And it's a port of, uh, of uh, Trello, I think. It's called Deco. Okay. And so it doesn't ship on the phone by default, but it is in the store for free. And once it's super stable, it's, it's a little bare bones, although it's, it's getting just to where I think it's a actually really nice client. Uh, as, that, as that grows more mature, it'll be shipped by default. But it is in the store, and, and it's, a, it's a really nice client. All right, there you go. And there's a little audio pop, so I'll leave it there. Um, boy, it was a good interview too, but I'll have to uh, I'll pull out more clips if there's more in there maybe next week and play it because that pop in that audio happens sometimes from the conversion of the camera clips. Uh, all right, so uh, one last interview to round out our scale coverage. And this is the company I never thought we'd have an interview with on the show. Uh, and it turns out they use quite a bit of Linux. Okay, we're here at Scale 2015, Scale 13X. We're walking around, and I expect to see a lot of Linux when I go to these Linux conventions. Sometimes the Linux isn't quite as obvious as you might think it is, and that is exactly what I found out when I came across Disney. Who doesn't love Disney? So I'm here to talk a little bit uh, what exactly Disney does with Linux, how you guys use Linux, and for anyone that thinks that Disney is all about cartoons and animations, all of that stuff is actually powered by Linux. Correct. So we actually have Linux running in a lot of our operation environments. Mm -hmm. And one question that you actually asked me was if we had Linux running in our desktop environment. Right. And that is so, especially in our animation environment, they Mm -hmm. actually have fully Linux-based environments. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of times individuals will sort of uh, identify Disney as a brand um, and the affinity just to themselves. But the amount of technology that Disney uses to actually support its business lines is huge. And Linux is actually a very large component to that technology line, which is why we're here. Yeah. Well, and so, and, you know, and of course, it goes without saying that uh, the Linux community in general always appreciates people like you that, that, that build a business on the backbone of Linux that are willing to give back, that sponsor these kinds of events that come here and, and talk about it. I mean, that's, you know, that... that, that Right. From this perspective, it's about being able to go ahead and provide the community with a little bit of sort of support overall in general and letting them know what it is that we do with this line of technology Mm -hmm. and just making sure that people understand that it can go hand in hand. So we have obviously a huge brand that's out there, but a lot of it is done with amazing technology such as Linux. So, and the reason I brought up the desktop thing is because you walk around and you see a lot of the presenters, they they talk about Linux and they talk about building their business on Linux, but at the same time, they don't trust Linux enough to actually use it on a day-to-day basis. It might be in it might be in, on the servers in the back end that does that stuff, but they're not, they're not looking at it, they're not interacting with it. And what was interesting when I was speaking with you is I get the impression that there are places in Disney where when you walk into work, everything is Linux. I'd probably say in selective environments, especially in areas like animation or feature animation environment, that is so the case. Uh And that is just generally case by case in terms of how much Linux is used overall within each environment. So it may not be the case for all environments, but specifically, especially for our animation teams, it's a very big part of their um, day to day. That would be, yeah. And what would really be cool is if someday those tools that you guys use 
if those ever became available for purchase, or for, that would be absolutely awesome. Hey, uh, um, if somebody wanted to find out more about uh, Disney and Disney's involved as Linux, is there somewhere you can point them? Or? Um, in terms of Disney and Disney's involvement with Linux, I'd probably say, in general, you can go ahead and sort of check out DisneyTechnology.com, oh, okay. uh, or a little bit more so, I would say, uh, DisneyTechJobs.com. Yeah. Um, through DisneyTechJobs.com, you'll actually get a really good understanding of our overall technology environment and sort of how we're able to go ahead and kind of use Linux as well as other open source technologies within our environments, and that's going to be specific to every segment and every position that we have. That's absolutely outstanding. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And as Colonel Linux points out in the chat room, they are hiring. So uh, you can get yourself a gig at Disney uh, managing some Linux servers. You know, instantly my brain flashes to that song from Frozen, Let It Go. She's talking about proprietary software. <laughs> let it go. Let, let it go. go. Let it go. Get it <laughs> Get it out of here, I think. is exactly. uh, Yeah, let it go because it is wasted effort. wasted effort. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Nice. Very good callback, Matt. Very good callback. Uh, all right. Well, we got to talk mate. We got our mate. Uh, don't pursue her. Oh, thanks, Daryl Luck. Well, you know, I thought if this podcasting thing didn't work out, I would... Okay, no, you don't think I, I could become a Disney singer? <laughs> well, there goes that plan. Get you a tutu. Yeah. Guess I better stick to reading ads. And that's why our next segment is brought to you by Linux Academy. Head over to linuxacademy.com right now. In fact, if you want a little pro tip, go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Get the 33% discount. Yeah. 33% discount, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. So why go to like high? Because I'll tell you why Linux Academy is built by people who are crazy passionate about Linux. They get the open source community. They're involved in it. Developers and educators came together and created a platform that they call Linux Academy. And it is awesome. It is a resource you can go to to learn just about anything in the spectrum of Linux, open source, Amazon Web Services, big technology stacks that you really want to deep dive into and walk away with expert knowledge, stuff you can go take the test and pass. And I can't tell you how many success stories I hear. It's amazing. And part of the, pro- part, part of the reason is because they understand what the problem is with all the other systems. All the other systems are generic. They're just general training platforms. This is built for this kind of stuff. I'll give you a few examples. Um, you, you just choose from any distribution you want. They have seven plus distributions you choose from. The courseware adjusts to match those distributions. The virtual machines for the labs automatically adjust to that distribution, right? Because they get it. You can download the study guides and just keep them. They're yours. They have live stream events where you can ask the educators. It's so nice because you can also go in and keep track of your progress and see right where you left off, see how far you've gotten, see how much longer you have to get, how long it's going to take you. It's really easy to wrap your brain around this stuff. Like for me, I go in and I'm like, okay, now I'm going to learn Python. Now, in the past, before I had Linux Academy, and I have an active subscription to Linux Academy, I would have really had this nebulous, ambiguous goal. Self, I will learn Python. And, and I would then, what, go get a book, go, do, go Google. Right. Like, but then how do I know, like, the guide I'm reading is any good? It's just, it's just it's, it was never really a way I would actually take action on it. That was always the problem I would get to. Is I couldn't really conceptualize it and take action. Linux Academy solves all of that because they really wrap it in something I can put my brain around. They have an introduction guide that says it's going to take you five hours. Here's some course material. I get it. It clicks. And now I can get the job done. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go sign up. Make your skill set a little bit better. You're not familiar with Docker, but you've been hearing a lot about it. Go take a course on it. You need to go administer some 
KVM systems, go take a course on it. You're going to go work on AWS, go use one of those scenario-based trainings and actually work with the technology before you have to go put your hands on it. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thanks to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged program. You guys keep it up. They have a whole bunch of new stuff coming up, so it's really a good time to become a subscriber. I'll talk about that more really soon. Mr. Wimpy, if uh, you're still around, sir, I had a few things I wanted to uh, pick your ears and brains about, uh, and that is uh, the stuff coming up for uh, the big Ubuntu Mate project, which is now a powerhouse among distributions that uh, is not only an official uh, flavor of Ubuntu, but apparently is so damn rich, is just giving out money to Uh other open source projects. What's going on? Well, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) powerhouse and rich, is that so? (laughs) Uh, um, I, I don't know where to start with any of that, really. It's a pretty um, big build-up, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, all full of superlatives. Uh, how do I follow that? Um, yes, well, uh, I suppose um, the big news is we're now an official part of the Ubuntu family, which is just terrific. And we're already reaping the uh, benefits of being part of the official canonical uh, infrastructure team and having uh, and also getting consideration from you know the the wider Ubuntu group on decisions that are being made now. So that's really great. So I'll give you an example. So today I was contacted by two of the guys that are uh, working mostly on bringing system D enablement to 1504, mm. and they wanted to make sure that Ubuntu Mate 1504 was going to play nicely with system D, and they gave me all of the tips about how I could test this and make sure it was working okay, because they, they want a tick in the box that Ubuntu Mate is going to work. And so now being official, you know, we're given that kind of due diligence, and that's just terrific. Yeah, no kidding. That is really great. And plus you get uh, also the hosting infrastructure for the repos and the ISO images. Yes. Yeah. So there's a number of other benefits. So we've got access to the build server now. So um, uh, that's terrific. And, And more importantly, the official build infrastructure, because I'd had to sort of reverse engineer it as best as I could. And I think to most people, the Ubuntu Mate images look and feel and smell like real Ubuntu, but I knew where they weren't quite the real deal. Uh, so now they really are. So, for example, now on Ubuntu Mate, you can now use the uh, the OEM config. So uh, you can, you know, install a batch of machines in OEM mode mm. and then... Uh, oh, nice close them up and uh, when you turn them on it asks you you know who you are and uh, where you are does it mean at some point i would maybe be able to be like on a a bare ubuntu's like server type install and do apt-get install ubuntu dash mate that's all possible now so that all happened a couple of days ago so if you were to download the mini iso for example go really trim uh, you can now do a task cell install of the ubuntu mate uh, desktop yeah. So uh, it's all it's all you know fully enabled throughout the stack now. Wow, that is a big deal. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah it's, awesome, it's man. terrific. It's been it's been a long old grind, and and really the tipping point was um, about a month ago. I was fortunate enough to travel to Montreal with work, and one of the guys from Canonical who I'd been working with to try and do all of the back-end build infrastructure enablement was based in Montreal. 
so uh, I met up with him and uh, we went out for coffee and beers and went to the Montreal University and went to the Montreal Linux meetup for the evening and we and we hacked away on this for sort of um, until about four o'clock in the morning and that was really where it all started to sort of gather momentum and and start to sort of fall into place so um, yeah Cypher Mox as he's known in the IRC he was he was terrific he, he's really made a big difference and there's about uh, eight or nine people at Canonical that have really really sort of made this happen in the last two weeks it's been uh, it's been great now uh there's also a couple other things i want to talk to you about number one is uh you did something that i think uh would be really neat to see a lot of other projects too so you have some community funds right uh does help pay for the cost of the projects and i guess there was extra funds and so you kind of paid it forward that's right so um one of the things that came out of the community back last year was um they wanted a community site that wasn't hosted through the social networks because you have a lot of people that are uncomfortable with signing up to Facebook and Twitter and Google and what have you. So I said, well, I'd be perfectly happy to um, host it all and, and you know put it all together, but I couldn't afford to run it myself. So I started a funding campaign to just cover the costs of hosting a server. And the money started trickling in around November time last year. And I just gave it a couple of months lead time so I knew I'd got a buffer, you know, so that um, it was comfortable. But um, it kind of uh, overtook itself. So we're comfortably funding a, a rather beefy server. So it's a, a quad-core server with four gigs of RAM and RAID 6 disk and six terabytes of um, bandwidth per month. Hmm. And that's where we're hosting our discourse community in addition to what we do in the social networks. And we're now using that to really sort of develop some of the teams in the project as well. Interesting, because I've noticed, you're, you know, the project's also pretty active on Google Plus and the Ubuntu Mate yeah. community. Yeah, it's it's active on Google Plus. Also, also surprisingly active on Facebook as well. One of the community members started a Facebook group. I wasn't sure whether that was going to be any use or not, but I'd say that's almost as big as um, as the Google Plus group and growing much quicker because it was it was some months behind. Um, but anyway, we've had all of this money donated, which is terrific, and I've been thinking about you know how we can can make use of it. And I'd originally been thinking of doing like, um, uh, you know, code bounty, something like that. But I thought it would be better to actually identify projects that we're already making use of and sort of um, fund those projects. Oh, very so we've cool. Got, so we've got to a point now where we've, we're, we're not rolling in money, you know, and, I, and I'm <laughs> a couple of months ahead of where we are, but we've got a little bit of surplus. So I wanted to pick a couple of projects that we're dependent on that sort of make Ubuntu Mate what it is, that aren't part necessarily of, of Mate itself. And I was thinking about, well, where, where will I, you know, where will I look to support? And then I got an email from um, Marcos Castales, who's the developer for, for two projects. One is uh, GUFW, which is the front end for the, the uncomplicated firewall. And he's also the developer for folder colors. Right. Both of which Very I've cool. integrated into Mate. GUFW has been there since day one, and Folder Colors I added um, just a couple of weeks ago. And he sent me an email that basically said, um, I, I really love the project. Um, 
uh, here, here's how you disable the donation links in folder colors so it doesn't, you know, nag people. And I'm telling you this because I think the project's great and I really want to see it succeed. And I was like, well, there we go. There is the first person yeah, that no we kidding. should reward. So um, we went through the accounts and uh, we've donated $50 to GUFW. And then we've donated another fifty dollars to Folder Colors, and taking taken him up on his offer of disabling the donation links in the in the Folder Colors uh, piece. So that was a hundred dollars we've donated this month. And also, we've got um when you download Ubuntu Mate through the ubuntumate.org website, there's a you know could could you give us a download tip? It's not um you have to fill it out it's just there alongside the rest of the content and it suggests tip us two dollars if everyone who downloaded ubuntu mate gave us two dollars it would fund the full-time development of ubuntu mate and also the mate desktop um and we've had quite a few people doing that so from that i've been able to um give uh, thirty dollars to the mate desktop team this month as well nice yeah, that, I really like uh, that approach. Uh, in fact, I, I was wondering if maybe down the road, if maybe this might be something that takes off a little more because open source really does depend on uh, everybody that you're building on top of and everybody that sort of is writing on top of you. And uh, like uh, not only did I not really know about folder color, uh, but I, by the way, love that you integrated it. But uh, now I, like hearing that backstory too, that's just that's so awesome the way that the, the project worked together with you guys like that. Yeah, and I think that for a distribution, it's easier to gather donations. I mean, we talk about, you know, um, people wanting free software, as in free of cost, but people are so generous. You know, we're asking, we're not asking for anything. We're gently encouraging them to give something. But the 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 money that's coming in is surprising, quite frankly, far far, far more surprising than I, I I realized, and and we can really do things with that. Um, and you know, I I can't afford to make a hundred dollar donation uh, as an individual, mm-hmm. but using Ubuntu Mate as a platform to do that that actually makes a difference to the developer of that piece yeah. of software that's yeah. uh, it's not going to it's not going to pay their wages or anything you know grand like that it's it's still a small contribution it's, but it's much more than i can make as an individual it, it seems sound it seems like investing in the ecosystem and uh the other thing is it's made me kind of think about how i could apply something like that here um and i don't know exactly how that would be but wouldn't it be interesting to take like if we if we had a milestone where if we reached a, a certain set amount of funding uh, then we would contribute a percentage to maybe production Linux software like video editors, like you know, or or uh, uh, audio editors, or maybe other things like GStreamer or things like uh, FFmpeg or or VLC or or something like that. Well, I, I, that's it gives me a lot to think about, and I think a lot of projects could think about how they could apply it to uh, to their their kind of uh, setup and and yeah, sort of reinvest yeah. in the tools that they use, like. Jupiter Broadcasting Network freaking lives and dies on FFmpeg. Like, if anybody deserves a buck from us, it would be the FFmpeg project. I don't even know how their funding is set up. But it, and the other thing is, like, I could imagine, like, so say down the road we did something like that, where we set up a goal on our on our uh, patreon.com slash today page where we said, all right, after this milestone, we're going to give, we're going to give back to open source every month. And then imagine, like, so I reach out and I get, I start, you know, here, FFmpeg project, I want to, 
I would like to donate. Well, then maybe that starts a conversation with the project and then we land a great interview too. Like there could be other types of, uh, you know, benefits to it too, other than just. Yes, quite. And now now you have a dialogue with these projects, right? Well, this is it. This is it. And now now, uh, we have a relationship because now I've exchanged many emails with Marcos and we've actually started talking about some spin-off projects. So it actually then, you know, garners some involvement in the project other than what I've already seen is out there. So this is um, a mechanism I'm going to try and use going forward to actually... Uh, recognize the efforts that people have put into their applications and try and use it as a way to bring them into the the wider Ubuntu Mate project and uh, and and reward them for you know um, what they've what they've achieved. So, uh, albeit in a small way. And is your plan is as this happens to continue to post about it? Kind of, are you going to do like a, an online? What's your what's your plan there for yeah. kind of making it sort of transparent for the community? Well, yeah, so when when I first tabled the idea of taking donations to pay for the community server, I set up front, and I do this quite regularly. If there's anything that I'm not sure about, I ask the community. So it's very democratic. I put a poll out and I basically say, vote on this. How do you want things doing? So when I said, um, I'm going to open up for donations, how do you want the finances reported? The result of that feedback was they wanted a monthly statement of accounts. So that's what I've been doing since, I think, December time. So at the end of every month, I post a, a detailed list of these are all of the people that donated. This is the amount that came in. This is what the money was spent on um, and how we've we've used it. And I felt a little bit awkward about this couple, uh, last month or the month before because I spent some money on an iBook G4 that I bought off eBay because I wanted to work with one of the community members on the PowerPC port. And I was like, ah, you know, 80 quid's quite a lot of money to spend on a second-hand computer and I don't really know anything about PowerPC as a result, we now have PowerPC as an officially supported architecture. So I feel that that money was well spent. And certainly for those people in the Ubuntu Mate community that use PowerPC, they're super happy with that. Uh, and I feel that, you know, that was OK. It was OK to spend that money because there was a, a, a measurable result uh, as, a res- uh, as, as a result of spending that. Yeah, so yeah. this month I'm going to buy a raspberry pi 2 and an odroid c1 and this is a precursor to uh trying to achieve arm v7 hard float Mm. images for 1510 very nice and so 15 uh but before we get to 1510 1504 is going to have an official power pc edition it's going to have one click compass enablement for the desktop right i mean this is fancy yep yeah, so so some of the headline features for 1504. Um, I've worked with the upstream Compiz team, so I've I've ported the integration layer to Mate in Compiz. I've also ported the um, uh, the compatibility plugin uh, to Mate as well. So now in uh, 1504, uh, you'll see there's a proper Mate compatibility plugin, and then I've also added. Um, uh, uh, detection of the Mate session for Compiz, so it knows uh, Compiz knows it's running under Mate, and these are the plugins, and this is the profile that it should use because this is Mate. It's not GNOME and it's not Unity. So we've got first-class um, Compiz support, and I've spent 
many evenings <laughs> tweaking uh, a sort of a default Marte Compass profile with a sane set of defaults that give you some nice transitions and some nice effects without being too sort of <laughs> in your face and mm-hmm. over the top. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I've just I've just sent uh, another merger proposal. Um, I think yesterday evening, which has been accepted to just tighten that up a little bit. But as a result, as a result of working on um, on Compis, I had to sign the uh, Ubuntu um, CLA. So I was invited oh, to right. sign the CLA. Yeah, and I've I've read the small print very carefully, and uh, as I understand it, uh, every second Tuesday I have to go to Popey's house and wash his car. Yeah, and every and every and every last Thursday of the month, right. I have to cook him dinner or and, something. And I also, think that's how it works. I think you're also obligated to catch his chickens when they get out. <laughs> Yeah, oh, right. yeah, and that too. But but only, but only if only if uh, the 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 day of the weekends in Hawaii. <laughs> well, Surely everyone should be obliged to do this. This is not just uh, <laughs> this is, everyone should have to. I I had one more thing I wanted to talk to you about, uh, sure. uh, Wimpy, uh, and that is uh, I'm I'm uh, pushing the buttons right now. I just became a uh, a patron uh, of oh, uh, of you. the project. Yeah, so uh, t- talk about this a little bit. So I, the reason why I want to talk about this too is because. Um, I, I I suspect that this might be something more distributions pick up because to me it seems like a no brainer. Of course, I'm using Patreon and it's maybe more geared towards content creators in a sense. But uh, people can go to Patreon.com/slash/Ubuntu underscore Mate, and if you're already uh, one of the patrons of our network, then your your stuff's already set up. It's just really click one click button, and uh, they have 29 patrons right now making 174 dollars a month for the distribution. And I wonder if the other projects like maybe elementary os couldn't go on something like this how's it worked for you so far wimpy well it's it's effectively the patrons that have funded the community server so all of the setup costs and the server and, and the month-to-month server hosting but more importantly uh the bandwidth costs because um ubuntu mate 1404 and 1410 which are unofficial and therefore we're having to field the costs of delivering that for are being downloaded between 900 times and a thousand times a day so that's a lot of bandwidth that we're having to fund yeah so those those patrons are basically funding funding the distribution network so without them uh it wouldn't have happened um and I, i went down the patreon route because um, you, you could do, you know, Kickstarters mm-hmm. and crowdfunding, and you get a gob of money up front, but there's no longevity right. you to You want that. sustainability. So, yeah, so I, I went for, it might take longer to build up a head of steam, but I want to know month to month that right. the project can support uh, and itself. What, what I, the reason why I think it's actually kind of brilliant, and yes, there's bounty source and there's uh, other ways to do it, but uh, the other thing that's kind of nice about it is, it legitimately one-to-one translates to the interest in the community. So you can scale up your efforts and your investment as the community scales up their investment. And it directly corresponds. As they want more, they'll fund more, and then you can afford more. Or you can come to them and say, exactly. okay, we can do this next thing. And the, the milestones allow you to say, all right, once we reach this milestone, this is something the distribution can offer. Uh, you, in fact, you need some new milestones in there, as a matter of fact. Yeah, I do. And I in fact, we've, don't we've, listen to me. We've Milestones got... are the worst part. <laughs> hard. I have, I have got some that I'm going to add. But um, you talk about, you know, the community want more. So at the moment, 
there's uh, about four of us that are discussing some a merchandise team because what we're getting quite often now is people saying that they want stickers for their computers or they want mugs and t-shirts oh, and all of that good stuff so we're just putting together a team to try and uh, and fulfill that requirement um, and again, there'll be a little bit of kickback, which can go into the project, which we can then use to do, you know, the next thing and the next thing. So hopefully it, it's a cycle of self-sustaining uh, yeah. that we can we can start to generate. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to 1504. I think uh, I think we'll have a review uh, when it comes out, because uh, I think that's I mean, I think already. Uh, the distribution is, in my in my estimation, seems to be one that's worth watching already, and that's a pretty. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of distributions that sort of uh, that sort of hover in that kind of. I mean, I don't mean to really put people down, and it's not really the same thing. But Mandriva, a little bit, just a little oh, bit. Yeah. I mean, I love me. I love Mandriva. I love you guys. I'm a Mandrake user back in the day. I was a Drac Club member, uh, so I got the special repos. I mean, seriously, I love it. So honestly, but. I actually just just talking in terms of sheer relevancy. I just wonder. Uh, mm. Well, yes, it'll be interesting to see what happens. So, DistroWatch were refusing to list Ubuntu Mate whilst it was unofficial, and the day after we got our official status, DistroWatch uh, put up an Ubuntu Mate page on DistroWatch, and that was a week ago, and we're at number twenty three now in a week so i know they're hinky stats but it's a it's an interesting barometer for you know uh interest let's say yeah yeah uh i i i can i can there's other ways i don't know i've watched this stuff for a long time there's other ways you can gauge it yeah and uh, and it's the thing is now it's getting difficult to 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 follow the, the downloads because now we're on the official canonical infrastructure i can't track all the downloads so i don't know how popular 1504 is versus 1410 and you know 1404 mm. so i, well, I, I start that, to lose some visibility the um there was a recent article on was it the register where they yes, talked about some of the yeah. the upcoming um the upcoming 1504 release and didn't he talk about the torrent stats or was that somewhere yeah. else yeah no, it was. It was the Register article. Are you familiar with the Register? I think that's mainly oh, yeah. in the UK. Oh, no, yeah. No, yeah. we're familiar okay. with it. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, the Register covered the 1404 beta releases and covered Ubuntu Mate and, and happened to remark that the, the the seed ratio for Ubuntu Mate was three times that of any other flavor. So um, <laughs> that's kind of interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, look at the Register doing a write-up on that. I'll uh, link to that in the show notes as well. Hmm. So yeah, we've got some good stuff planned. And the other the other new feature in fifteen oh four that's probably worth mentioning is yes, you've got compis that you can turn on uh with a drop down menu. But the other thing I've been working on is the uh user interface switcher. Oh yes, so, tell me about this, yeah. Okay, so this was something I had the idea about because the default Mate um desktop arrangement isn't how I actually use the system. So I created a number of panel layouts that, that suited me and also um, another podcaster who has a particular requirement for how they drive their machine. And I created these and they said, oh, what you should do is you should, you know, make a GUI so you can switch between these. So I've, I've now made this. So um, effectively, you've got the, you've got the Mate uh, default arrangement. You've got the OpenSUSE uh, desktop arrangement as was some years ago. 
and then something that looks broadly like um, Windows XP like, hmm. and then uh, something that looks somewhat Mac OS ten like, and that integrates with um, Plank and what have you. So um, you can you can quickly switch your panel arrangement to single panel, top or button, uh, with with docks and or not or dual dual panel, and you can just cycle through them very quickly. Find one that broadly reflects how you want to run your system, and then customize it from there. But uh, it hopefully, um, it, it's just something a little bit different. And the uh, the, the porting the mint uh, menu to the Mate menu and setting up the uh, the Windows thing makes it kind of feel like a Windows Seven inter- interface. So people who want that could easily get that really quickly. Hmm. Yes, hmm. yeah, I've called that theme Redmond as well in sort of you know a hat tip to uh, to XP. Uh, so you know what I'm going to do? Uh, I'm going to just. Sw- I, I think everybody should go check out the DistroWatch uh, uh, link because uh, that's number 23 right now. Uh, and Are so I, <laughs> I just tweeted it out right now, and uh, you can check it out. It's distrowatch.com/slash/ubuntu-mate. Uh, and I think a lot of people would like to learn about this distribution because it's pretty compelling. You can hear it's got a lot of cool features coming. So uh, go check it out. Maybe uh, go up a little bit further in the ranks, and people will check it out even more. Wimpy, that's a ton of stuff. So, are you uh, not? You're not pulling your hair out. You're you're doing okay. You're not about to uh, lose uh, too much sleep or um, go insane from oh. all of the workload. No, I am working two jobs at the moment. I'm effectively doing my day job, and then I'm coming home, and then doing another like full shift. Uh, most most nights until sort of you know one two o'clock in the morning. So I am properly exhausted. Um, I just need to get over the hump of, of fixing up the the 1504 stuff. Hopefully, be done in a week, and then it should be a nice, easy cruise in through beta two release candidate to final. Right. And uh, and in that period, we can uh, we can start to look at the planning for 1510. And uh, I've got some GSOC mentoring I'm planning at the moment as well. Wimby, I tell you what, you almost make me want to switch away from Arch that close. Too bad I could just easily install Matei. Of course, you know what, honestly, is I miss all of the fine touches you're doing, like the color, like the file exactly. color. Like you need to, you need to like, can you just, can you make all that like a package that I could just install <laughs> on Arch? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. No, you're a little busy, huh? Yeah, okay. no, okay. no, I probably could. It's just finding the time. Um, yeah. Some of it's there already, to be honest with you. Uh, other people are maintaining some of those packages. But, yes, it's uh, if I did that, then I sort of dilute the yeah. the value out I of know. Ubuntu Mate. I know. So you I have know. to walk that What line. I have to do is just watch everything cool you do and then just go try to rip it off on my own desktop on yeah. my own. Which is <laughs> super horrible. <laughs> <laughs> the thing, the thing I've been working hard on is the 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 Mate tweak and Mate menu. Yeah, uh, I've made those distro independent, so those were forked from the Mint utilities, and now they don't carry any specifics for either Ubuntu, Debian, or Mint. So awesome. those tools could be used on on any distro now. So technically. You could get all of that one-click goodiness uh, for compies on um, on Arch. And a couple of weekends ago, I did update the um, compies packages for for Arch mm. Linux for Mate users as well because I I maintain those Good there man. as well. Good man. So yeah. uh, lots coming. PowerPC support eventually. ARM support. Fifteen oh four and even fifteen ten in the works. Officially a flavor now of Ubuntu and the Patreon and the Distro Watch submission. We have links to all that stuff in the show notes. 
thank you very much for taking such a keen interest in the project. It's been great to watch it, Wimpy. It's been a lot of been a lot of fun, and uh, it's well, it runs all my computers. I just signed yeah. up on the Patreon because that's that's selfish interest for me. That's, I, that's I need part. this to work. It's, it's genuinely <laughs> a great product too. Yeah. That's the great I, part I, is to I, watch. I, it. I want to contribute and, to this and, and, and what you. And what, and what you get is the warm, fuzzy feeling that if there's any money left over, we'll find a a good candidate that's worthy of some funding um, that, that directly benefits Ubuntu Mate. And every month I now, uh, I plan to support an open source project through our um, our funding campaign. That's really cool. You keep that's it up cool. as long as you can because that's a pretty neat deal. Uh, all right. Well, uh, we'll probably wrap it up there. So uh, did you know the Linux Unplugged show is live? That All these people we just talked to, they're not recorded. Well, they're recorded now that you're hearing them. But when I'm talking to them, they're live. And you could talk to them. You could be one of the people we're talking to. Oh, my gosh. Go over to jblive.tv. We do this show on a Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted to your local time zone. And don't forget, if you can't be here live but you still want to contribute because you know you love us, we do have that subreddit over at linuxactionshow.reddit.com. We pull stuff in from there, and uh, we'd love to have that. You also have the IRC you can participate in, and you can always help out financially, too, at our Patreon, patreon.com slash today. The money raised there goes to all of the network. And, uh, Matt, you know, I think uh, with Linux Fest around the horizon, I've already started thinking about spring now and summer. I'm thinking about doing an episode of the show on, around the barbecue. Nice. I should probably just focus on next week, though, to tell you the truth. <laughs> it's okay to have long-term goals, yeah. but you know your yeah. short-term ones can't yeah. lose focus. Right. Yeah. Well, Matt, have a great week, and uh, I'll talk to you next week. In fact, uh, maybe if you swing your timing just right when you come down here on Monday for your super secret mission, I'll have some barbecue. Just there's a possibility. Ooh, sounds good. Yeah, yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for doing this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. We'll see you right back here next week, and also we'll see you on Sunday. We're going to do our production under Linux episode finally, so tune in for that. Thanks so much. See you next week. Oh dang it! I was just, uh, I was just reviewing uh, Popey's contract, and apparently we didn't uh, dedicate enough time to Ubuntu Touch. Popey, how's the uh, Ubuntu uh, Touch project going and uh, the BQ stuff? All, all good? I'm sorry, I'm uh, contractually not allowed to talk about that now. Oh no, wow! No. Oh wow! Shabang! Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. I'll try to give you a chance to give us. You got to wash his truck if you want <laughs> this to work out, Chris. That's what's coming down to. I was trying to give. No, it's, it's fine. It's car, really car. fine. Oh, it's good, huh? Okay, I was trying to give a brother yeah, a chance. It's right, it's fine. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Hey, jbtitles.com. Jbtitles. Do you see? Um, there was a photo that went past on uh, Google Plus. One of the people at the Meizu stand, the Meizu MX4 is one of the devices we're shipping soon. And uh, there was a couple of Samsung executives hanging around the, <laughs> the booth oh. <laughs> looking at the Meizu phone running Ubuntu, which was nice, you yeah, know. Yeah, I want I want that phone. You know, if, if, if Tizen ever doesn't work out for them, you know, we'll be there for them with proper limits. <laughs> there you uh, go. The next time we're doing this show, next week, the Apple Watch is going to be announced, like, Whatever features it has are going to be established, and the price and shipping date is going to be announced. And uh, I don't know. Like, <clears throat> I, I, here I am, like before, and I'm still like thinking, I'm still not. Conv- I, I don't feel like they've sold me on why I want an Apple Watch. Although I don't feel like Pebble ever sold me on why I want a Pebble, and 
Google never sold me I want an Android Wear exactly. I'm still kind of in this area where... So the thing I like about the new Pebble is the fact that they're touting it as being more hackable and having um, a connector on the back that you could attach... The watch to, yeah. or attach the strap the bands, to the watch. The bands, so the bands yeah. can have so, well, different sensors. It says it can be bands. Yeah, the bands could have sensors, or they could be more batteries, or you could just take the watch completely off your wrist and have that as the control unit for something else. Oh my gosh! Have yeah. all kinds of under stuff underneath it. It doesn't ah, have to be on your wrist. Things type gizmo. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But the thing that the thing that kills Android and iOS. Obviously, I'm speaking from a perspective of someone who doesn't actually use android or ios anymore i'm screwed i can't use either of those i have to buy into the apple ecosystem to but use an uh, uh the iwatch and i have to buy into the android ecosystem mm-hmm. in order to use an android wear watch so you know i'm boned either way i can't use either of them whereas pebble seems to be a bit more open they're completely open source i think the future of the watch is on having something that just receives dummy information has a framework for displaying ui and the backend is always elsewhere and this is for the stores, an open protocol. You just enter in the store and you get options on the watch. This is what Pebble's doing. You can push a Pebble app with their API and write no code. And people exactly. can choose to install it, and it's amazing. Nice. But still, you install it. Like, what I really am you saying You install it to just, the watch. You, yeah, you, no, but you that's exactly what I'm saying. You don't do anymore that the app exists actually on the store computer. Yes, and it's on the Pebble Store. And you just you just say go, and then it starts showing you the information. There's no choice, or, you know. There's no setup for it. You just oh, I want this to show up. Someone's already put it together for me. You just say okay, show it on my watch. I got over the watch thing when I was like ten. When I got a Timex data link and I started programming it with oh, flashing screen, that. the scratch <laughs> flashing monitor, and programming it that way. Even though there was only programs that I could put and download to the phone via the sensor like the light sensor onto it it was still pretty cool and i kind of got over that way back then the watches now aren't really attractive to me so so pebble have clearly got like first mover advantage because they were kind of first out the gate in this space and with their e-ink displays and the battery life they've been able to offer something that the that is similar to the watch wearing experience that you would already have had you know because these other smart watches they're trying too hard yeah you, you, yeah yeah because i'm often firmware updating my day. watch it's not well, about firmware updates it's about whether your watch will still tell the time at nine o'clock at yeah. night so right. i don't know if you guys have seen this sony e-ink watch it's not a smart watch per se in the same way that you would call it but it takes basic bluetooth stuff and the amazing thing is the whole thing is an e-ink display, like the yep. band itself. The band and when you can go in, like, say, Ooh. I want, I like, this design band. And you can just go and say, I want this design band, and I want the phone, the, 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 the watch at the top to look like this. And it's like, you can do that. And I thought it was so cool. I was like, That's that is the watch thing. I want. And what is it running? It doesn't run anything. It's like, it's kind of a dumb watch where it takes in some basic input. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, this Pebble thing is cheap. Which is yeah, yeah, dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pebble's got to figure it out. Pebble really does have to figure it out. I think I am on record saying that that is the business model to go on the show here. Okay, I've just backed it. Really? Are you going to get a fun? Yeah, do you get a watch? You didn't go for the steal? Yeah, you're just drunk on hot cross buns, you poopy. Poopy, you should go for the steal while you still can. It's more no, posh. No, that's fine. 
I, I'm it's okay. Much more expensive. It's so way, what are the, I haven't actually the looked at this. Only the steel does the cool bands. Oh really? So they have uh, sixty-eight thousand backers. Wow, ten million dollars. So they're definitely funded. Is this the right Kickstarter? Am I, which one do I look at? Yeah, you're on it. Yeah, you're, you're on it. I think it's they more hit their than goal that in now, like an hour and a half. Or is that the original? How do I know I'm not looking at the? Oh yeah, okay. <clears throat> yeah, it's called Pebble Time. This awesome has the new watch. Watches. No compromises. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So here we go. This is. Yeah. Uh, this is pretty cool. All right. I'm gonna play just a little bit of it. Hey Kickstarter. My name's Eric. I'm the founder of Pebble. You may remember Pebble from our first campaign when a bunch of you supported our quest to build the world's first real smartwatch. I do remember that. Okay, so... Oh, okay, so right when you jump in, all the price levels are... uh, Your choice of one Pebble Time Steel, which includes your choice of color, includes a leather strap and extra metal strap. Oh, Oh, I really want to do that. Hmm. Well, I don't know. See, this seems like it's hard to it's hard for me to gauge right now which is the uh, wearable uh, watch to go behind, but it seems like Pebble's the one, doesn't it? At least for us maybe. Yeah. Yep. I think I want to back it, you guys. They have a really cool completely online uh development environment for it too. It's sweet. You can be as long as you're on the same network as your phone, you can just write code and push it right to your watch. I think I want to back it. Should I back it? I kind of. I want, and then I get. If I get. Oh gosh, I want one now. Oh. There's, there's, get the steel. We're 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 at a tipping point, Chris. There's 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 two ways this is going to go. When Apple come out with their Apple Watch, that will set the um, direction for the wearables market. If Apple make a success out of it, everyone else will jump onto that ship firmly. And if Apple's wearables flop. It will be uh, a novelty that never really gains any traction, and it will be the likes of Pebble that own that space, and it will be a relatively small market. So, where do you want to be? Do you want to be either way? Pebble sounds like the, a safe bet. Yeah, I think so. I think I think well that you know, like I said, they've got first mover advantage. They're far more far further along than the others in actually delivering. A wearable device, mm-hmm. you know, something that you right. can wear all day long that works. One of the better things like, about the Pebble is that I've had mine for over a year now, and I think only two or three people have ever been like, "Oh, is that a smartwatch?" It's just it just blends in. I don't think that these other devices are going to do that. Hmm. The thing Apple has is giant gobs of money, and yeah, and that that's something that Pebble never has. Which is going to be hard to compete with, and, and maybe they get the their hacker mentality that you know people like us will play with it, but Apple will have uh, premium stores and lots of news airtime on all the mainstream channels as a result of them being Apple. But here is the trick: it's open source, right? Mostly, so at least so that means that any low-end store that looks at the high fees to do partnership with apple that still wants a phone a phone sorry a watch is probably going to do with the pebbles especially if you make it so that, yeah the thing is the thing is is uh, all the the hackability and open source stuff is great for the likes of us that are discussing this now mm-hmm. but if I say to my wife, oh, I'm going to get one of these smartwatches, and she's going to say to me, why? And I'm like, well, it can tell me all of the things that's on my phone mm-hmm. and the time. She's going to say, well, why don't you just look at your phone? 
Yeah. And and this All is this uh, yeah. and yes, this is how I feel that's about the, it. That's the, that's the There's There's nothing nothing your wrist. See, the problem is these well, watches in overall have been marketed as a device for a consumer to buy. I really think that these are devices for a store to offer to a customer, to a member. But like but for, that or a cheap one that is subsidized by these businesses. But for Not what? Really. what? What are you going to use it for? This is, I haven't seen a compelling use case yet. I, I use my Pandora every It replaces your membership card on the store. It gives you more information. And, and to the store, they win more precise information about your but actual I've, buying habit. But I've got NFC in my mobile phone. I already carry that everywhere. Why can't I do those things with my mobile phone? It's great as a remote without having to take your, your phone out of your pocket. But my Basically, phone's out of my pocket everyone... if I'm sitting down, so why okay. is that, why is that compelling? What, so how big is your phone? Uh, that's, that's my, like, everyone uh, that I see has these huge, ginormous phablets, I'm going to call them. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I, had is... a, I had a Note 2, and today I've just replaced it with a Nexus 6. So I, I, got, I've, I have the Firefox West Flame as my, my, my main phone. And it's already to the point where it's like, this is kind of large, and I don't want anything bigger than this, and yet I can't buy anything smaller than that now. So it's it's honestly one of those things. Too. You could buy an Ubuntu phone. That's yeah, uh, yeah. about the same size as the uh, <laughs> Firefox Flame. I'm actually, yeah. I have both in my hand right now, the Firefox Flame and the BQ phone, and they are pretty much identical size. The Pebble well, is nice when I get an email notification and my phone's in the other room, but I can hear it and I can see the email and know that it's not worth getting up for. Hmm. Yeah. Or when I want to so, skip a song that's playing and I don't want to unlock my phone and deal with getting into the app to skip a song. Okay, so the song skipping, if if you put yourself in an environment where that's more convenient uh, because it's on your wrist, like, for example, if you're cycling, for example, and you've got your phone in a backpack and you've got your headphones in and your watch is on your wrist and you're cycling along, you can be measuring your distance and velocity and all of that good stuff, and you can skip tracks. You, I can see a use case for a smartwatch, but you have to kind of think really hard and you can't see that most people are going to get value out of uh, a device precisely. like that. This is precisely if you're an upper class businessman and you're sitting in a really important meeting and your phone's on silent, but your wish is, you know, giving you a okay. buzz that your okay. wife is calling upper you. Cl- upper class businessman doesn't know how to use his phone or his computer and therefore he won't okay, know how to class. use his smartwatch either. Middle class. The polite way of saying at the end of conversation would be look at your watch. Now, when you look at your watch, you're going to think you're looking at Facebook. <laughs> well, it's true. See, I do sometimes. That's, that's, that's the other thing. Uh, your guys are thinking about, okay, why I, as a consumer, will acquire a watch? That's why I'm saying the future of these watches is not on you acquiring it. It's in the companies that want the information from you will give it to you. And then you're going to start right. using some of these uh, I don't, leverage. I don't understand this approach because the watch doesn't collect any data. Oh, so this is the beauty of it. Once you are inside the store, usually they have patterns on, oh, no, okay, what things you decided to pay on the cash, right? On, on, on the cashier, right? With your membership card for you to get the discount. That's why they apply the discounts. Okay, what about extra information on a product based on you closing your watch to the device, to the product? 
But the watch doesn't do any sort of communication like that. Well, I guess, are you envisioning, like, uh, these stores, like, the watches will get so cheap, these stores will have, like, a branded watch they give you as part of the membership program? That, or they will collaborate in a pool of companies, and they will have a system, and so you have a single membership card, and when you are inside of one specific store, you get the system of that specific store. When you're inside of another store, you get the the specific of that other store, and then they can share the cost of producing these watches. Hmm.